to start with a, a question because I'm curious. Maybe this is just for me. How many of you have ever tied a, like literally tied a string around your finger to remember something? Anybody actually, can you think nobody's ever, you, Jim, you have? Did it work? No. no. <laughs> it's so funny because I, I feel like it's one of those sayings, you know, kind of one of these images. Oh, if you want to remember something, tie a string around your finger. I would have to first remember where the string is in our house. I, who knows? It could be anywhere. That might be harder to find than remembering the thing that I need to remember. There are a lot of ways to remember things. Uh, post-it notes. How many of you, anybody use post-it notes? Yeah, there were, I had a lot of post-it notes when I was a kid, like my mom. That was her method, a lot of post-it notes. I've gone through post-it note phases where I just have post-it notes all over my, uh, my office to find things. And then inevitably, I found that, find that one that fell off and w- like went under the desk, and you find it six months later. You go, okay, maybe I need a different system. Uh, apps, we have apps now on our phone where you can just put things in. Um, it's really convenient because if you don't want to know what you're missing, you just don't have to look at it. It's great. Uh, you can just kind of ignore it for a while, but it can pop up and annoy you and be like, hey, check this out. Sometimes I ask my family to help me remember something. If we're coming to church and I have to remember to grab something, I'll say to my family, remind me to do this. And, and the interesting thing that I found is I don't really need them to remind me. It's the act of asking them because going out the door, I'll think, I know I told them to tell me something. I'll think about what they were supposed to do. They're supposed to tell me something. And then I remember, oh, right, I'm supposed to remember this. It's a little trick I do. It puts a lot of guilt on my family, but it works. <laughs> and that's really what matters. Sometimes the thing that we want to remember is like a skill. And, and maybe the only way to remember, which is part of learning, is to do it over and over and over again. If you're trying to pick up a new hobby or a new sport or a musical instrument, you, you have to repeat the same thing over and over again. I remember when I was learning to play guitar, I will never forget sitting there. There are two chords. Well, there are a lot more than two chords. But there are two that gave me trouble, and they appear in almost every worship song. It's a G and a D. Simple, right? But if you notice, these fingers here have to go from here all the way across to here. And I would sit in my room for hours doing this. My friends just love listening to it. And then I would write a new worship song just to these two chords over and over and over. And I'll tell you now, I could probably look at the songs we did this morning. Yep, there's one. You see G and D next to each other all the time. And I learned it because I did it over and over and over again. There was no other way for me to learn something except to practice it, redo it, remember what I'm doing, put it into practice over and over again. So when you want to learn something or remember something, you have to be intentional about it. You have to take steps, put something into practice in your life that's going to force you to work through the act of remembering that thing. What am I going to do, whether it's a string on my finger, a post-it note, going through the motion over and over again, what am I going to do to be intentional to remember this thing? And I'll tell you, as I study the Bible, one of the things I've really been struck by, especially in the Old Testament, 
is the number of times that God either directly tells his people to remember something or he commands them things to do in their lives to force them over and over to remember who he is and what he's done. And I think when we come to, especially the Old Testament, it's tough because we see the things that God gave to them, the things he told them to do, whether it's their religious practices, the sacrifices, which is something we're looking at today, the the festivals, we'll also look at some of that. But these things are so foreign to us. It's a very old culture, very archaic from our point of view. It's a very foreign culture and we struggle to relate to it. But as you look at those things, ask, if they were to do these things every day, what would it have done to their relationship with God? If they were to obey the things that God tells them to do weekly, monthly, yearly, and we'll look at the things that he commands them to do, what would that have meant in their relationship with God? Because God put these things into their life, into their culture, into their very law to help them to remember who he is, and to remember their relationship with him. Open up to Numbers chapter 28. We are walking through the book of Numbers. We are coming into the home stretch. We will be finishing up this sermon series by Easter. So we've got a couple more weeks in the rest of the book of Numbers. I should say too, I will not be here next week. Uh, Chris Vincent will be preaching We are going out to Chicago to see my daughter, Lindsay. She's in a play next weekend, so we're uh, excited to be able to go out and see that. But you will be in good hands. Numbers chapter, chapters 28 through 30. Most of this passage, at least chapters 28 and 29, have to do with sacrifices and festivals. And yes, I know, like many other passages in the book of Numbers, these are those passages we just want to skip over. Because we look at it and say, I don't get it. I just just don't understand it. It's tough. But I think if we're willing to dig in a little bit, we will see what God was doing in their lives. We will see how he is helping them to intentionally remember their relationship with him. And we'll see hopefully how to build that intentional remembering into our own day-to-day lives. Now, before we can get to the text for today, we need to deal with the context in case some of you weren't here last week or forget everything that I said last week, which is fine. I had to look it up too. But last week we looked at chapters 26 and 27. And in chapter 26, it is this second census, this second counting of the Israelites, speaking of another chapter that people like to skip over because we go, ooh, it's a bunch of names and numbers. What is going on? And we talked about how the Israelites have wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. God brought them out of Egypt, brought them to Mount Sinai, gave them his law, for, and then that generation became unfaithful, turned away from them. And for 40 years, they have to wander in the wilderness until God brings a new generation into the promised land. And that's where we were in chapter 26. That census, that counting is of the new generation. It's like God saying, okay, this new generation, you guys are going into the promised land. And now he's telling them things that he wants them to remember as they move into the promised land. And frankly, it's kind of, I think the undertone is, here's what you need to be doing so that you don't repeat the mistakes that your parents made. Here's what you need to focus on as you get into the promised land. Now, what's really interesting 
in chapters 28 and 29 especially, is that, and you can look at the headings there, I'm not going to be reading all of it, but it deals with daily offerings, Sabbath offerings, monthly offerings, and then a bunch of festivals. Everything that is said, almost everything that's said in these chapters, has been said before. It was given to the Israelites either back in the beginning of Numbers, or it is expanded upon in the book of Leviticus. This is all a repeat for God giving these things to his people. Which raises the question, why? Why say it again? Why say it again now in the book of Numbers? And why say it the way that he says it? Because what's really interesting is as it goes, I say interesting, you guys are like, this isn't interesting at all. It's basically saying, take this animal, kill it, and that's your offering. And it says that over and over again. That's the most of this chapter in case you want a synopsis there. But what I find interesting, maybe I should say it that way, is that it talks about, say, the festival of the Passover it gives. And it doesn't actually explain what the Passover is. It doesn't say why they celebrate the Passover. All it says is what animals they are to sacrifice on the Passover. Each section, that's all it's about. All the animals on that particular day that they are to sacrifice. Now, why? Why does he not deal with what is going on behind these festivals? Why all this focus just on the sacrifice? The sacrifices are listed in order. He gives daily sacrifices, weekly sacrifices, specifically for the Sabbath, monthly sacrifices. Then there's all these annual festivals, the Passover, followed by the Festival of Weeks, the Festival of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, the Festival of Tabernacles, which is where he spends the most time. And then chapter 30, we're not going to deal with chapter 30 too much, but I do want to just briefly explain it. Chapter 30 deals with vows. At the end of chapter 29 and all these laws and sacrifices, he says, hey, by the way, keep your vows. You make a vow to the Lord. And the idea was in the Old Testament law, there were other sacrifices that if you said uh, you made a vow to the Lord, if the Lord gives me you know, success in my business or something, I vow that I will give this percent or something to the Lord. And he says, make sure you keep those vows. And then chapter 30 deals specifically with the vows that women would make in that culture. Because if the, young, if the woman was young and living at home, it would actually be her father who would be legally bound to carry out that vow. And if she's married, it would be her husband who would be put into this legal bondage to carry out their vow. And so there's this interesting treatment of women can make vows, but also what happens? How do we protect the father or the husband in this case from being bound by a vow that they don't agree with? And that's what chapter 30 is about. So we're not going to look at that too much, but I want to go back. Look at chapter 28, verses 1 through 8. I want to give you a sense I want to read eight verses. That's all we're going to read of this chapter or these chapters because the rest of it is pretty much the same with a few details changed. Chapter 28 of Numbers, verses 1 through 8. The Lord said to Moses, give this command to the Israelites and say to them, make sure that you present to me at the appointed time my food offerings as an aroma pleasing to me. Say to them, this is the food offering you are to present to the Lord. Two lambs, a year old without defect, as a regular burnt offering each day. Offer one lamb in the morning, the other at twilight, together with a grain offering of a tenth of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with a quarter hin of oil from pressed olives. This is the regular burnt offering instituted at Mount Sinai as a pleasing aroma, a food offering presented to the Lord. The accompanying 
accompanying drink offering is to be a quarter of a hen of fermented drink with each lamb. Pour out the drink offering to the Lord at the sanctuary. Offer the second lamb at twilight, along with the same kind of grain offering and drink offering that you offer in the morning. This is a food offering and aroma pleasing to the Lord. Don't you feel edified right now? This is like one of those passages we want to dig into our daily devotions and just go, oh, this really speaks to me today, right? I mean, unless you're trying to figure out what to make for dinner, um, passages like this are probably not going to give you a lot of pause and a lot of time to think about. But I don't want to just skip over these. We're not going to get into all the details of why a lamb as opposed to some other thing, how often they did these things. What I want to do is look at the big picture. And the big picture needs to start with, as I said earlier, why would God say these things to his people now when he's already said them before? Why now? And I think what we said earlier is key. If you go back to chapter 26, it is the counting of the new generation. And so God is reminding this new generation that is going into the promised land what their relationship with him needs to look like. God is bringing this new generation into the land that he has promised them. And what's interesting too is that I believe, and I'm going to freely admit right here, this is a bit of conjecture on my part, but I believe that for the first time in a long time, they're going to have the opportunity and the ability to carry out the sacrifices that God had already commanded them to do. There's a big question, and I spent a lot of time this week researching this. Did the sacrifices, the regular daily, weekly, monthly sacrifices, continue throughout all of the wilderness wandering? My answer is probably not. I think at some point they ran out of animals. 40 years in the desert, and over and over again, we come to passages where they don't have any food and they don't have any water. That is not a good place to raise a child, let alone an animal. And if you're starving to death, you're going to eat the animal. Now, some commentators say, oh, no, they were saving them for when they got into the promised land. Fair enough. What are the animals eating? The people are starving. What are the animals eating? You might say, well, grass. They're in the desert. Not a whole lot of grass to be found. Also, and I'm not going to put this up there, but Amos chapter 5, verse 25, seems to indicate that at some point in the wilderness journey, the regular sacrifices stopped. I think part of the reason God is giving them these commands now is to remind them, hey guys, you're going into the promised land. You haven't been doing this for a while, and I get it. It's okay. He's not chastising them for it. But he's saying, when you get into the promised land, remember. Remember to offer these daily or weekly or regular sacrifices. God is reminding them to take these back up to intentionally remember him and intentionally remember their relationship with him. But also, even just the passage I walk through, There's a lamb that's given in the morning. There's a lamb that's given in the night. If you go to the Sabbath, there's a bunch of grain offerings, drink offerings. There's other animals that are sacrificed in the monthly. And these are all cumulative. So daily adds then on the monthly. They do the daily plus the monthly. On the other things, if it falls on one of those, they're doing the daily, the monthly, and the other. It adds up to a lot of animals. These people are about to go into God's promised land. 
God is saying to them, I am going to make it possible for you to worship me. The land you are entering into is a land of abundance. And I am going to give you the flocks that you need to carry out these commands. For the first time in a long time, they are going to have what they need to carry out God's commands. And God wants them as a new generation to make sure they put into their day-to-day lives effort to intentionally remember their relationship with God. And that's what I want to look at here. What does this mean for us? How do we take what God told them and help us to understand? Because the correlation principle is not, hey guys, go buy a bunch of lambs so that you can sacrifice them morning and night. That is not the application. The New Testament makes it abundantly clear we don't need to do these things today. But we do need to learn from them. And one of the things I see is that God is teaching his people to intentionally worship him. Not as a byproduct or an afterthought, but to put things into their regular, day-to-day, ongoing life routines to be intentional in worshiping God. Worship is not just a Sunday morning service. It's not just this one hour on Sunday morning or another hour that you go during the week. It's not just a time of singing or singing hymns or choruses. Worship should saturate every part of our lives. That's part of if they put the things into practice that God is teaching them, these things will be a part of their ongoing day-to-day lives. Worship is ultimately the act of living in a right relationship with God. So that we reflect in how we live, we reflect the truth of who God is and how he has changed us. That's the big picture of worship. It's not just a time of prayer or just a time of singing. It's I have been changed because I'm in a relationship with God and that redefines everything in my life. And so I'm going to live in that way. Now, God is giving them clear principles of how to do that. Our principles today are going to look different, but the principle of living a life of worship remains the same. Look at the passage briefly. You see the headings? Does your Bible have the headings in it, kind of the darker ones? Those are just, they're not actually part of the original text. They're there to help you find things. But you'll see it mentions daily sacrifices, Sabbath, those are also weekly sacrifices, monthly sacrifices, and then the rest of 28 and chapter 29, you see various festivals. These are regular, ongoing, repeated things they were to do to worship God. Their day-to-day lives and the flow of their calendar as a nation revolved around their worship with God. Think about how intentional that was. I think for us, worship is like, man, I hope worship happens on a Sunday. I hope I get into the service or the singing or I'm planning for worship on Sunday morning. But do we wake up every day saying, I make a choice today to worship my Lord and Creator and Savior? Am I going to be intentional today? And I love that God puts regular reminders in their day-to-day life. Do we find ways to remind us in our ongoing lives to remember to worship God on an ongoing basis? Or do we say, you know what, that's the pastor's job on Sunday. And it is part of my job to remind you. I'm not there with you Monday through Saturday, though. 
I'm not right there when you're going into a difficult meeting or having a difficult conversation or facing a difficult phone call. I'm not right there. But if we can bake things into our day-to-day lives, put intentionally into our lives, I am going to choose to remember to worship my Lord and God. I think we would see God at work in such powerful ways. God wants them to be intentional in their worship of him. The other thing that's very clear is that this worship requires sacrifice. As they move into this promised land, as they go through some of these battles on their way there, we're looking at some of those over the next couple of weeks, they are going to be blessed by God in powerful ways. They're going to get herds, livestock, animals, land. They're going to get new homes, new cities. God is going to fulfill his promises to them. And what he is asking them is to take out of what he gives them and give some of it back to him, to sacrifice it, an act of giving something back to the Lord. And for them, it often is the sacrifice of animals. We struggle with that. You're doing what to the cute little baby sheep? You're doing what to that cow, the ram, the bull? It's so foreign to us. But God is taking the things that they recognize as things they need in their day-to-day lives. And they will be abundantly clear as people traveling through the wilderness now coming into the promised land. They did not have this. They now have it because God has given it to them. He is using the things that they hold most dear in their day-to-day lives and saying, take that. Take that right there and use it as an act of worship. This involves regular sacrificing of what God has given. Worship involves giving of some of the blessings God has given us back to him as an offering, as an act of worship. And part of this is that we've got to be careful never to get so caught up in the gifts that we forget the giver. They can't get so caught up in the animals that they now have that they forget the one that made it possible in the first place. They can't get so caught up in the promised land that they forget that it was God that saved them out of Egypt and brought them there. Friends, I think we're often in danger of that. We get so caught up in what we have and trying to maintain it that we forget that all we have is from the Lord. We get caught up in our own righteousness and how much better we are than the world out there and how screwed up the world is that we forget we're just as screwed up. And apart from Jesus Christ, we are just as lost. We need to remember to put our focus on the giver of the gifts rather than just constantly being distracted by the gifts themselves. By doing so, we are intentionally remembering. Intentionally remembering to worship God in our day-to-day lives. There's another reason for these ongoing sacrifices, and that is an intentional celebration. These festivals, many of them were joyous times when the nation would get together and it was like a giant cookout, or we call it today a potluck if you're a Baptist. They would get together and just share this meal together. Now, some of the sacrifices were completely given over to the Lord. That's most of what's being talked about in these chapters. But in other places, we see that some of the food that was given, some of the animals, was shared by the people that were gathered there. I think we often think about celebration as kind of a party, or we think about holidays as, as just sort of a break. It's, it's a time to enjoy ourselves and have fun. 
But God put these things in their weekly, daily, monthly, annual calendars to intentionally remember to celebrate who God is and what he's done. To put their focus on what God has done to bring them there. Look at some of the uh, the festivals in chapter 28 and 29. First you have the Passover. The Passover was the celebration that they were stuck in Egypt. They could not get out. They were enslaved. And God miraculously saved them out of Egypt. And it was something in their annual calendar to remember. We are here today because God saved us. The festival of weeks was seven weeks after Passover. In the New Testament, it's known as Pentecost. You might be familiar with that term. Seven weeks after Passover, when they celebrated the first fruits of the harvest. Every year, remember, largely an agrarian society, remember you have what you have because of the blessing of the Lord. The festival of trumpets was the beginning of the Jewish New Year. It was a time of repentance and preparation for the Day of Atonement, which is what he talks about next. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies to make a sacrifice for their sin to cleanse the people and the tabernacle so that God's holy presence could dwell with them. And then the festival of the tabernacles. And it's interesting, chapter 29, verses 12 through 40 covers this one festival. Why would he spend so much time on the festival of tabernacles? The festival of tabernacles celebrated and remembered the time of the wandering in the wilderness. This new generation who's going into the promised land, it's like God is saying, don't forget to remember what you've been through. Don't forget to remember what your parents went through. Be intentional to celebrate and remember these things. These festivals and many others that aren't listed here are scattered throughout the Jewish year. Almost every other week or so, the Jewish nation would have had some sort of a festival to help them to remember something that God had done in their past, to remember the blessings that God had given them, and to remember their ongoing need for God's forgiveness and grace. As I said, we we sometimes look at celebrations as just kind of a break, a time to have fun. We need to be intentional about building things into our lives to celebrate what God has done for us. Now, sure, we have things like that today, right? In a couple weeks, we're coming up on Easter. Easter is a powerful time to remember Good Friday, Jesus' death on the cross, Easter morning, the resurrection from the grave. We have Christmas, of course, the birth of Jesus Christ. But what are things we can put into our own personal lives? To intentionally remember and celebrate what God has done for us. To remind us of the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. To tell others about that. To celebrate and remember the blessings that God has given you. Take some of the things that you celebrate, whether it's your birthday, your anniversary, maybe you have a spiritual birthday, you know the date you received Jesus. But take those and use them intentionally to say, I give God the glory. And I give him the credit for this thing in my life. I am alive today on my birthday. Today's not my birthday. Next week. But I'm alive today on my birthday. And I'm celebrating it because God has given me life. 
on my anniversary. I'm celebrating not only my wife. It's not my anniversary either. I always have to say those things because then inevitably I'll get a, you know, something. Hey, congratulations. I didn't know. Yeah, it's me neither. Um, but to celebrate your anniversary and say, I'm, I'm not only celebrating my wife, but I'm celebrating the fact that God gave her as a gift. And that we have traveled this many years together. We have walked this life together because of God's faithfulness in our life. Celebrate and remember who God is and what he has done for you. And share those things with your kids and your neighbors and those around you. Be intentional in those things. And finally, intentional repentance. There is, as you comb through this, there is a detail that stuck out to me like a sore thumb. It popped up over and over again as you're reading through the lists of all the animals that they were to sacrifice. Over and over again, we are told that in addition to the sacrifices they are to give as part of their regular worship, there is another sacrifice that is commanded. In Numbers chapter 28, 15, it says, besides the regular burnt offering with its drink offering, one male goat is to be presented to the Lord as a sin offering. This is to be added every month to the monthly offering. Chapter 28, verse 22, as they celebrate the Passover, they are also to have a sin offering. Chapter 29, verse 5, added to the festival of trumpets, they are also to have a sin offering. Chapter 29, verse 11, the sin offering was part of the Day of Atonement. And then in the section on the Feast of Tabernacles, this is a seven days plus one, so an eight-day festival. And it goes through every day all the sacrifices they were to give. And every day they were to also give a sin offering. Think about this for a moment. God gives his people festivals to celebrate his relationship with them and to remind them about who he is and what he's done for for them. But he weaves into almost all of those festivals a constant ongoing reminder that they are sinners and in need of salvation. Why would you do this? Some of these festivals are celebrations. They're joyous occasions. Oh, and by the way, remember you're a sinner. Thanks, God. Why do you have to be such a downer? Can't we just have fun? He intentionally puts into so many of these things a reminder that they are sinners and they need salvation. And in order to be saved, something must die in their place. Friends, we so often, we don't want to deal with sin. We want to, especially as we come to church and we gather with family, we want to be encouraged. We want to get that pat on the back and be told you're you're doing a good job. We want to be told about how great all the blessings are and how great everything is and how wonderful everything's going going to turn out. And there are times for some of those things. Those aren't necessarily bad. But we also need to put regular times into our daily, weekly, monthly, and annual routines to intentionally remember, I am a sinner. And God has given me a way to be saved from my sin. And the only way is for God to provide a sacrifice to take my place, the penalty of death that I justly deserve. As a church, we put this into our regular routines through taking communion every month. It's what communion is all about. We are sinners and only saved through Jesus Christ. We go through this on Good Friday. Why did Jesus die on the cross? 
We do this on Sundays by combing through passages of the Bible, like this one today, passages we might want to skip over, we might want to move on to something more encouraging, but we need to look at our own sin. But how can we put intentional repentance in our day-to-day lives? I want to challenge you. Take time out of your day. This may be very foreign and very hard. Take time out of your day to come to the Lord and confess your sins to him. There are other religious traditions that have a practice of going to someone else and confessing your sins. And there can be good things in confessing your sins to one another. But it is the Lord that forgives. I can't pronounce forgiveness on you and neither can anybody else unless they're the son of God, Jesus Christ. We are to take our things to the Lord. Instead of just running into the Lord's presence and saying, God, I need this, fix this, I want this, bless me, change this. Come before the Lord and say, God, I've really screwed up. Or I'm struggling with this heart attitude or this action or this habit. Confess your sins to the Lord. Take seriously the passages that deal with sin. Don't skip over them. Don't just avoid the hard questions or the hard parts of the Bible. It is so easy to say that we are Christians and yet work very hard to avoid dealing with sin. And at the essence of being a Christian is the truth that God has dealt with our sin. And we need to intentionally remember that through ongoing intentional repentance in our lives. All of these things that God gave his people, all of them, culminate in, point toward, and find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. They are reminders, signposts to point beyond themselves to the Son of God, the promised Messiah that would come to save God's people once and for all. They had a problem back then as we still do today. We take the rituals, the practices, the actions, and we... We stop there and we become so focused on them. If I just do this, then I'm right with God. And we forget that those things are to point us to Jesus Christ. They are only reminders of the real thing. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 1 through 4 says the law, that's part of what we're reading. Numbers is part of the law. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But these sac- those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Hebrews goes on then to talk about how all these things point us to Jesus. And then he sums it up in chapter 10, verse 10. And by that will, God's will, to to take care of our sin in this way, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Friends, it's easy to become a Christian and go through the motions. It's easy to say, oh, I'm right with God because I showed up to church. Or I go on Christmas or New Year's, not New Year's, Christmas, Easter. I I show up at the important times, right? I drop some money in the plate. Maybe you even go way above and beyond and you show up to Sunday school. Well, you say, I'm definitely into heaven because I have checked 
the boxes. The boxes are there. The rituals, the practices, the reminders are there to point us to Jesus. And if you have checked the boxes of the reminders and the rituals without really looking at Jesus Christ and accepting him as your savior, those boxes mean nothing. We must be careful that our acts done to remember Jesus don't take the place of Jesus. We must be purposeful in our lives to intentionally remember who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Take time to think about how in your regular routines, how are you intentionally remembering who God is? How are you intentionally reminding yourself of what God has done for you? How are you intentionally remembering the fact that you're a sinner and that you need a savior? And how are you intentionally remembering and celebrating that God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save you? I think it is helpful for each one of us to think about our own lives and think, what can I put in place that will help me to remember and to teach others to do the same? Because friends, we are people with short memories. And we need sometimes to rehearse or repeat the same thing over and over and over and over again to help us to remember. I pray that as the Lord's people, we would be intentional to remember who God is and what he's done for us. Let's pray. Father, we forget so easily. And God, it's hard to take a passage like this that is so archaic, so foreign to us, and to think about how to apply it to our lives. And God, I thank you that through Jesus Christ, we do not have to offer these sacrifices at all. We have the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But Father, I do think that we can learn from the principle of intentionally remembering and building that into our regular lives. And so I pray today that we would be people who intentionally remember who you are and what you've done for us that you would give us creative ways to help one another or to help our families or our children to put these things into our regular schedules to remind us of these important things of our relationship with you. And Father, through it all, may we keep our focus on Jesus. May we keep our focus there. May the rituals, the practices, the remembering, may all of it point us to Jesus, but never take his place. For it is in Jesus Christ that we are saved and in Christ alone. So we pray all this in his powerful, loving name. Amen.